welcome to the third episode of Decoding Strategists, Understanding Innovation podcast brought to you by Collab.io. I'm Elton. And I'm Sarvesh. And today we will decode a very vital strategy, or rather understand, and an essential strategy in organizational co-creation. So what we generally do is we identify a crafty and brilliant strategy and we reverse engineer it. But today we are doing something a bit different. And that is delineating organizational co-creation strategies to you along with a very special guest uh, that we have with us today. Introducing Mr. Otto Luis Barnett Lopez Tello to you. Yes, so I'd like to introduce Mr. Lewis to our viewers and listeners. Mr. Lewis is currently working with Invitro based in Vienna, Austria as a consultant. Apart from being an academic savant in co-creation and purposeful organizations, he is also someone who has advised and transformed companies successfully. Welcome and thank you Mr. Lewis for being with us today. Thank you both for the invitation. I'm so happy to be here. We are happy as well. So today, uh, so today, Mr. Lewis is about to shed a new light and share a very unique perspective on co-creation as we know it is. So if you Google co-creation strategies uh, on the internet, the internet is rife with a lot of theories, a lot of examples and cases that are based on the foundations of open innovation theory. And these theories and these strategies are appealing only to large organizations such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, P&G, and KitKat. So as we spoke in one of our earlier episodes about KitKat, it simply uh, reaches out to its customers and consumers asking them for one tweak in the flavor or one change in color. But this is, this is just a PR tactic and it is mainly to take feedback from their consumers to find that factor that appeals to the consumers and translate it into financial gains. But what we are going to talk about today is not just that. It is on a more meaningful level and a more deeper level, on a more deeper level that could be used by MSMEs, startups and, uh, and small organizations, especially in ecosystems uh, such as in India, in Mexico and other uh, developing countries. So I'd like Sarvesh to go first with, uh, with the questions we have for Mr. Lewis. Yes. So uh, the first question for Mr. Lewis uh, is based on what Elton just stated that co-creation is not only for customers or external parties uh, as how most open innovation theories would define it. How do you think uh, startups, MSMEs and small companies should co-create today? Um, well, thank you for the, for the question, Sarvesh. Um, it's definitely not an easy question. And you're right. So co-creation has um, been defined around how to co-create products and services and how to involve customers in the, in the development of those services, which at first glance makes a lot of sense because they are the ones that are finally going to consume the product. So getting accessing that intellect or that information from customers is for sure a big gain. What we're talking about today, I think the perspective that I'm going to share with you is about how to structure the whole company and company vision around co-creation. That means how to involve also employees who are actually the ones in the day-by-day work of the company, how to involve them in sharing the company's vision and helping the company to co-create whatever path it sets for itself. So it doesn't only have to be a product, but it can be a process. It can be a way to organize the seating in the office. 
It can be a way to set priorities regarding sustainability or social impact. It is basically involving the, the whole of the organization in deciding together what it's going to do and how it's going to achieve those goals. Um, thank you for the answer. This has been uh, very insightful. So does this mean that a company should uh, democratize uh, the innovation process and the innovation power to their employees uh, and uh, up to the last level of employees? So how does this exactly work? Uh, could you share something from your experience? Mm -hmm. So what I've done before in companies was basically creating um, organizations within the company that is also run by an employee. So Maybe before I start with that, just to say that there are two things happening in parallel when we talk about co-creation. Um, so the first thing is the actual day-by-day -day work that every employee has to do and the deliverables and the KPIs it has to reach. And the other thing are so-called, not so much the day-by-day -day goals, but rather the long-term goals of the company. So of course, I'm going to put an example of any manufacturer. We want to manufacture, I don't know, an example, T-shirts, for instance. So obviously there has to be someone designing the t-shirt, producing the t-shirt, um, pricing the t-shirt and so on. But also a t-shirt company has a meaning for itself and a purpose for itself. So we produce t-shirts because we want to achieve, we want to dress the whole world up with ecological shirts and so on and so forth. So how do you um, bring together the short-term goals with the long-term vision of the company? And how do you involve the employees in actually contributing their value to the actual meaning of the company? And that is definitely where the challenge lies. So what we've done before is creating parallel organizations within a company around a particular topic. Um, mostly in big corporations, a very good entry point is the corporate purpose because the corporate purpose is something that is like a constitution for a country. It's something that is above everyone in the company. So it's above the CEO and it's above the clean person that is um, cleaning your thrash every day in the office. So it's somehow of a common umbrella that everyone is embedded in. Um, so what we did is create an internal organization run around the idea of implementing the corporate purpose and bringing it from the walls, so from a nice statement to actual real-life projects. And we asked employees in the company to volunteer for it. So this is the first challenge. How are you going to um, create engagement and have people go from their daily tasks, which they have to deliver, otherwise they're not getting paid, and actually spending some time, some extra time doing other things that are not let's say, particularly work-related or KPI-related. Um, so yeah, what we started doing was actually just talking to people and creating focus groups, taking those volunteers, not asking them about their position in the company, not asking them about their age, but just starting to talk about the things that they did have in common. So we took the corporate purpose, the sentence, um, and we started deconstructing it and asking those volunteers what they thought those words meant that were inside. So then they answered this and then we thought, okay, so these words that we have here in the company, are they also relevant in your day by day life? So what we want here is to create a connection between your real you, the one that you are at home and the you that is in the company. Of course, we don't want to break all barriers and just go around uh, in our essence and do whatever we want, but we do want to create a sort of connection between our values, personal values and the values of the company we're working in. So bridge that disconnection to make it more coherent. So what we want with this is to actually give employees the feeling, okay, so if this is important for you, then how do you see that, which is important to you, translating to the company? And that's when, from the focus group, you start going into the solution. 
So let's say employees are unhappy because um, a very simple example that I like a lot is the seating in the office is very individualistic and we don't get to talk with other friends or other colleagues. Um, and we basically are very itemized. So information doesn't flow. We feel individualized, alone, and so on. So then we would say, okay, let's create a group that is going to research on different seating techniques or whatever working arrangements and create a project around that, find sponsors within the company and actually make a case for why it is important to change the seating. So then these people will go out and look for more volunteers and they're just going to convince them by, by word. And this is already creating the momentum necessary to have a group that is actually very passionate about creating a better environment for all of the employees. So once you have this, the first side effect is that you're creating already informal networks within the company. You're going out of your normal space and you're going maybe if you're in HR, you're now going to the process people and saying, hey guys, I know you're in process, but we want to change the seating for everyone. So would you be available for an hour meeting this week? And they, maybe they say yes, maybe no, but mostly someone is interested so what you end up having is a team which is super diverse and that is already connecting the different layers of the company with the excuse of any kind of project. It can be a more social project or it can be a project around a particular uh, improvement and what I would call like normal corporate innovation, not just social innovation. Um, and what is happening is you're actually creating a fabric in the company of people that are coming together for a bigger goal than just their normal tasks. So they're escaping, they're going out of their normal box and they're actually entering a new, more common area. And this common area is where then, after a set of values and, and, and things have happened, this is where co-creation can start happening. But only of a base, after having a base of empathy, of understanding, of friendship, and this kinds of soft um, kind of skills, that are not that important, apparently, but are actually the basis for any organization to work. So what you have is employees actually starting to reflect upon, okay, what is an organization? What do I need to create an organization around my particular project? And how can that organization contribute value to the company and interact with it? And something that started with a seeding order maybe develops in the future in an innovation concerning some product development in the company. So it's nothing that you can actually plan from the beginning. You can influence it. But what we're trying to transmit here is that co-creation needs a basis of understanding and of motivation and engagement to go about any kind of challenge. And that those relationships that uh, come about that project can then have positive outcomes on many other layers of the company, starting by how the relationships transform from going more hierarchical to horizontal. Uh, to finish this point off with, I'm just going to give an example of a, of, of a family. So if you have very uh, hierarchical parents, very powerful parents, they're normally going to de-empower you and they're going to control you a lot and they're going to ask you why, why you're leaving. Where I know uh, probably in India it's going to be like that. Uh, uh, Indian parents and Mediterranean parents are very strict in that sense. So what ends up happening is you're just making up excuses to do stuff that you're actually going to do anyways. Um, so the other point would be having a family that is more democratic where everyone can contribute value and can give opinions and be open about what, what they want to do. And then you're just talking about the elephant in the room and just, just being open about it. So 
obviously maybe you're going to get some backlash, but at least you're talking about the actual thing that is important to you. And you're not hiding and you're not hiding to your room, just doing your work and going home, but you're actually investing in the company and co-creating the company or the family together with your parents or your boss that you want to have. I think this was uh, very much on point. Uh, you explained the concepts on how how culture influences innovation and innovation should not be coerced or it's not like, you know, okay, uh, employees, let's get together and innovate. Mm -hmm. It's not like that, but rather it's about creating a safe space uh, for the employees, uh, a safe space for the people that matter in the organization uh, who are the primary uh, stakeholders in the organization and giving them the chance to communicate freely, to uh, make networks and to uh, feel very comfortable in sharing insights, uh, sharing uh, their observations and sharing the ideas to the organization. And uh, and this is, this is a very new concept, uh, not new, but it's a very important concept. And I have one question following this. So, um, so suppose, uh, uh, an MBA graduate uh, or uh, an aspiring manager listens to what ideas you're sharing and he or she agrees to it and plans about, you know, implementing such a culture in organization or his or her team or workspace or a startup founder, a founder is starting to, uh, you know, change uh, the culture that is already prevalent in his or her startup. What are the steps uh, to... Uh, inculcate such a culture in the organization? That's a very good question, Elton. And it's for sure not an easy question to answer. It's going to be different in from context to context. So I, I wouldn't like to generalize. But maybe the most theoretical aspect to it, uh, the first starting point. So if I'm talking now to employees, I, I'm going to have a, a sentence for employees and a sentence for employers. So let's start by employees. An employee can start saying, well, I just finished an MBA. I've spent so much money. I've been my whole life studying um, when I go home, I have a computer. I basically know and have the capital that allows me to work in the company. And I have a lot of possibilities for working in different companies. Um, so what is your company offering me apart from a salary, apart from the security, apart from whatever it is that I'm getting? What is it offering apart from that? So what is the company actually contributing to society? And what is the company giving me as an employee to be able to yeah, share all that information, share all that knowledge that I've gathered and um, yeah, basically be able to and develop myself professionally and personally in the company because it will not be enough to just have um, economic security because I could get that from any other company in the sector. So what is it that the company is going to do to appreciate me as a high level employee and to empower me to share whatever I have learned until now and contribute to that company to being uh, uh, relevant in them. The other company I would say, company are very concerned about how to stay, like I said before, relevant, how to create products that are gonna be relevant for the consumers, how to create policies in line with um, being carbon neutral, being more stable. So, so I could tell companies two things. You can, on the one side, hire a bunch of consultants that will make very interesting products for sure that are going to try create engagement within your employees and are going to tell you from the outside what you have to do. But then afterwards, you're still going to have the problem of, yeah, okay, so now we know we have to become sustainable. We have to be this and that, but who's going to do it? 
So then after paying their consultants, you now have to pay other consultants to come into your company and create a case. So create leaflets, videos, motivational speeches, trainings, and spend a bunch of money just trying to make up a case. Um, on the other side, you could do it in a simpler way by just asking your employees what it is that they think could be done differently because they are actually the people that are going to the office every day. They're actually the professionals that know much better what is going on in the company because they're actually doing the, the, the actual work. So if it is someone that knows how to improve a process or how to continue developing other processes, it's going to be the person, the specialist in it, and that will be the employee. So in this sense, it is sometimes important to have external consultants because normally people are not very open around superiors being employees with managers or managers with the leadership team or employees with HR um, because there is a company culture in every company that it seems like everyone just kind of has to fight for himself and it's getting spied on if they don't do as they're told. Um, so having someone from the outside actually taking that group of people and giving them just the space, like you said before, to talk and discuss openly about whatever it is that lies into their heart that is important. Maybe it's, for instance, just commuting to the office or the trash management in the office so that the machines in the office are selling Kit Kats instead of fruit and stuff like this. Or that maybe in the logistics center, they're driving around and wasting time. So it can be whatever from a, from a particular process to a more general social problem that they have. The point here being is that the company is a boat. So trying to look for answers outside will be for sure a good idea, but it might be interesting as well to start by looking at the answers and the problems within your own organization, within your own boat, because that's the people that are going to be in the boat. A consultant jumps into the boat, does its thing, gets paid, and then jumps out, then good luck with that. You know what I mean? But the actual people that are going to be involved and engaged and putting their hand in the fire is the people that are going to deal with that. So at this point, I would like to share a sentence that I borrow from the book, The Parallel Organizations, Changing the Way We Change Organizations, that says, those people affected by change have to be the ones involved in creating and implementing change, because lastly, they will be the ones dealing with it at the end. Sure. So I think we can agree that co-creation process with employees is very purpose-driven. And uh, what I'd like to know from you is what would the employees, what is the value that employees get by being a part of this co-creation process? So if, if, if a company is looking externally, it's usually some monetary prize or it, it's usually lucrative enough. Uh, it's usually a contest or something like that where people participate, no strings attached. But with respect to the employees, they work inside the organization. So what is it that they are getting in return for being a part of this innovation process? Mm -hmm. So here we'll go back to a little bit of the theoretical aspect. So as you know, employees, when they're just part of a production chain, they get alienated after a certain time. So it doesn't matter what you do. If you're doing repetitive work and if you're just dealing with the work, uh, with the workflow of that day, of that week, of that month, eventually you will get bored. And as we know, um, young employees that come into companies, or we like to, you know, give everything and we are very energetic and very committed and so on. So the possibility of creating paths and opportunities for co-creation is using those coffee breaks, using those breaks where you get tired or, or you want to walk around the office and just making them more meaningful. So giving them the opportunity to interact with other employees and 
actually around the space that is already planned out. So you're getting paid for that time. It's not something that you have to do outside of the office. You're getting a space for it. And within that space, you can start creating um, objectives for yourself. So what you're doing is actually delineating yourself from the particular process, creating a project where you are the one that sees the beginning and the end of it. And you become the manager of that own process. So instead of just um, bashing management or telling the company what to do, or I would like this, I would like that. You actually are given the opportunity by the company to bring about that change you wish. And you become, so, uh, so to say, the manager of your own idea. And then you have to deal with the stuff that the company also has to deal with, like how to build engagement around your idea, how to facilitate the process around your idea, how to make your idea financially profitable, to say it in, in some way. So you're becoming actually the person in control together with other volunteers of, of that particular thing you want to bring about. And you're learning a bunch of other skills that you wouldn't learn in your day by day. So you're learning leadership skills, you're learning communication skills, you're learning, um, well, innovation skills, if that is the case. You're basically learning um, things that are maybe a little bit outside of your, of your comfort zone. There are things that normally you get to learn when you scale higher in the organization, when the organization really invests in you after five or six years. And you're having the opportunity to play, to play around, but play with real life uh, projects. So in this sense, it's like creating a little utopia of democratic participation and horizontal participation and co-creation that then has an influence over the rest of the company. So it's going to start with the early adopters, people that are very engaged and very motivated, but it's slowly going to snowball into other people, maybe because they like the people that are involved in the project, maybe because they like the actual project in itself, maybe because they're just bored with their normal day jobs and they want to participate in something new. Maybe because they want to get a little bit more um, in contact with the company culture and, and help it uh, develop. So whatever it is, the motivation for them to, to, to give some of their time to a common project. And in that common project, they're going to learn a bunch of new skills that is then going to be very profitable for the company itself. Because you're going to have more conscious and more participative and more engaged employees. Um, so what I understand is that when we inculcate such a culture, it turns out to be a sandbox for the employees to play in, to learn and to actually be part of uh, impactful and meaningful projects within the company. And if they're ideating on something today, working on something today, they might actually see that their ideas have been put into effect by the companies in you know some time to come. Um, now, as we have understood that such an, such an arrangement uh, empowers the employees and democratizes the innovation power to the employees. Now, having this power in the hands of employees and holding on to that thought. On the other side, I, I have read an interesting study by done by the uh, Bocconi School of Management in Italy. Um, and they say out of the survey, uh, in a survey, when they spoke to a great number of employees, they found out that um, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's 81 or 87 percent of employees are ready to be to be, you know, joining their company or to be a part of a project within the company that would translate into a CSR activity or that would translate into the company uh, picking up a problem in society and trying to solve it. So to create social impact. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you think uh, companies should encourage employees to, you know, take up such projects and um, 
and bring them to life uh, through the company's facilitation? Um, very good question. So um, I would say, so, so there are two things I would like to share. On the one side, um, I have the assumption that if employees are given the chance, they will be more than happy to participate. This is especially applicable for new employees that come with a lot of energy to the company before it dies off kind of into the routine and they just say like, this is, this is what we have to do and everything else is really not necessary, doesn't matter. Um, on the other side, having a corporate purpose, having a vision and allowing your employees to interact with that vision, I think is a very powerful thing. So you're actually giving them the possibility to shape and to contribute for the kind of company that they work in. And that is going to be the best publicity for your company. So you can invest a lot of money in, in, in publicity, in HR, and so on. But the best publicity that you're going to get is having employees that are convinced of the mission, that are actually part of the mission. And if they're part of it, they're going to be convinced. Also, if it's not perfect, because they're also taking ownership of it. And, and yes, so... Um, they're going to be talking about it to everyone, to their families, to their friends. And that is going to create also a lot of momentum and it's going to improve the image of the company as well. It's going to also improve the image of how the employees see themselves in the company. And in this sense, going back to the CSR uh, point you said before, there are two sentences. And, and I think the one concerning to CSR is more about like, I don't remember if it was like doing, doing good and doing well would be CSR. Like we do our thing, we make money and then we go outside in society and we make nice things because so like you put an example before, like say any big corporation that is producing plastic or so on. So we're producing plastic. We're, we're making a bunch of money with that, bottling our, our drink or whatever it is. And then we're using that to help other children in need or do whatever project. But these products are normally very disattached one from another. So on the one side, I'm, I'm, I'm slapping you. And on the other side, I'm putting, I'm, I'm caressing you, you know what I mean? And saying, sorry. So wouldn't it be better if instead of looking at the company as two different things, the thing that we make money with and the thing which we are good with, if we combine that in one, and this would be combined until, uh, under this, what we say, corporate vision or corporate purpose. So what we want to achieve with co-creation by involving employees in this process is to do well by doing good. So it is by allowing employees to actually have a say in and develop alternatives to the bad practices your company is doing and contributing the company to the company for the company to become relevant, to become sustainable, to become carbon neutral, to be democratic, to have better gender relations. So all those kinds of things that we actually want in our lives to also translate that into our work, because we're going to spend 40 hours a day, at least in, in an office. So how can we just switch off, spend 40 hours a week, be one person, atomized worker individual, and then go home and be this flourishing human being that cares about humanity and so on. So the point here is about translating and unifying those two people that is in every one of us and co-creating the organization that you would like to have, that you would like their impact to be in your surrounding. And here I say a lot, we cannot solve all the problems of the world, but we can think global and act local so we can see the problems that they are and we can translate those problems into what our company is doing right and doing wrong and just nudging the company into specializing more into that and become a market leader and set an example for the rest together with their employees. Um, I really like the point, uh, the one where you implied that companies 
and corporations should look beyond CSR because CSR is simply like you're slapping on one cheek and then you're caressing on the other side and saying, <laughs> uh, sorry. On and the points you said, uh, you just said, uh, and in my opinion, I think they translate into a very good opportunity for corporations to look beyond CSR because as they have already given power of creation uh, to their employees, uh, they could come up with business models and they could come up with projects that could benefit people on the bottom of the pyramid. And to bolster your point, I have an example. Uh, I have a book with me right now. It's called The Fortune at the Bottom of the Pyramid. And it is written by none other than C.K. Pralat, who is also the father of co-creation. So I think what you said uh, goes hand in hand. <laughs> when you start with your ideology of co-creation, you, you don't just think about the organization, but also about the employees and about everyone around you. Uh, I mean, you can at least think local. Uh, I mean, sorry, you can at least think, you can think global, but you can at least act uh, local and you can come up with uh, some kind of business plan that caters to the uh, population at the bottom of the pyramid, creating opportunities for them, while also capitalizing on that. So it's a win-win for everyone. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> yes, and to move on, I think Sarvish has a question. Yeah, I have a question regarding that. So when we talk about countries like India or Mexico or any other developing country, uh, social impact needs to be there more than ever, at least today. So what do you think are the prospects where uh, bigger corporations can support and nurture uh, startups that actually specialize in social impact or sustainability? So there are a lot of uh, startups that are working on sustainable technology and, and sustainable practices where all that big corporations have to do is to support and nurture them and actually uh, outsource uh, some of their uh, uh, problems to them where they can take care of that so uh, what do you think are the prospects there um very good question i think um so i, I would like to just go back before i start uh, answering this question to to what elton says i think when we talk about acting global thinking global acting local i would say acting local uh, thinking global acting local but thinking local as well so if you want to bring about change to the outside world, the change, this sounds a little bit philosophical and people love this, but um, the change has to happen within you. So you first have to take care of yourself. Then you can go about the community in your office. Then you can go about what impact the office or the company is going to make in the, in, in the outside circle and about that circle then having an impact in the, in the world and so on. So when you talk about um, outsourcing these kinds of things, like sustainability startups and so on. In line with what we're talking about, I, I would think the start of, uh, of innovation would happen within the company. So ideally, after playing in the sandcastle, after playing in the sandbox, employees are actually developing projects that then can have an impact. And they're the ones creating the actual small startups within the company that will add up value to the company and that will create a company's landscape of different services that will help the company also shift their production the day of tomorrow into another sector or make it more sustainable or source from its own um, small companies that it has created. So basically what we want is to give employees the opportunity to be able to play around and eventually find out groundbreaking solutions that can be then externalized maybe to other companies and so on. Um, so the point being, innovation takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of failure, it takes a lot of money and investment. And if you're just doing innovation in a small room or just looking for companies that are already taking care of it, you're missing out the fun. 
the fun is to play in the sandcastle. The fun is to talk with, with your coworkers. The fun is to reflect upon your situation. And going back to what we said about India, Mexico, and basically also Europe, and we're having these social problems all around the world. I mean, now with the corona crisis, other elephant in the room, we're making business as if nothing would happen, but there is a lot of things happening, a lot of things changing. So in this, in this time of change and insecurity and uncertainty, the most important thing is to create very strong relationships among employees and nurture those relationships and create bonds that will then help them to play around and innovate and, and do stuff that they care about and address the stuff that they see outside of the company that they think is important, getting a little bit of support from the company. But through that time where innovation starts and it ends because it never really ends, they're actually already contributing value to themselves and the company. And it's not just a project that fails or succeeds and that is going to get renovated the next year, but it's something that is embedded in the corporate culture and that is continuously improving itself by having rounds of people entering and exiting and contributing with fresh air and fresh ideas and fresh yeah, value to that organization. And it will give the company in which it is embedded a lot of strength because there is a landscape of relationships happening and of different strands of innovation, if you call it in, in some way. Because innovation, as we know, is not just following one path, but it's actually taking a wide range of ideas and challenges and taking different perspectives to it and trying out different things. And maybe after a long while of trying out, maybe something comes up. But what will happen from the beginning is that we will have compromised and engaged employees that are actually coming to work with energy and with ideas and that are going to be willing to try new things out and that are going to go to their normal day job with much more enthusiasm as if in the country, as if that was the only thing they were allowed to do. So it's empowering everyone to contribute value to the company as a whole and the company vision as a whole and not just as an atomized worker that is programmed to do one particular task and that's it. This, uh, this was a very meaningful answer and I think it encapsulates uh, entirely about how organizations should uh, first uh, make themselves sustainable and then look beyond, and but certainly look beyond. Um, I have a little question which would also serve as a guide to the you know managers or executives uh, who would want to implement such a culture in the organization. And this question is regarding the costing. So definitely we know that changing culture or inculc inculcating a culture that we spoke about in this episode does not need finances. But when we are allowing the employees to um, develop projects and test out the projects, uh, in that process, there would be some money uh, involved. The company would need to put some money. And it's not always that every innovation mm -hmm. turns out successful. So uh, this could sound discouraging to the managers, but how should they take it on a positive note? And how are the benefits uh, you know, outpowering the, uh, the loss in money that could happen due to some failed innovations? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about money, uh, I think this is a very interesting question and I, and I like that it's coming up right now. Because when we think about money, we think about the money we spend right now, but we tend to not think about the fixed costs or the kind of spending that we are doing on a normal scale because we are doing things wrong. So for instance, just as an example, if I'm unhappy um, and maybe I have a love for eating, my unhappiness will make me eat a lot and spend a lot of money in food. 
Um, and then I will just assume that's the way it is and, uh, and there's a fixed cost for me. On the other side, if I actually tackle the root of the problem, um, maybe I'm not that interested in eating so much. I'm not spending so much money in food and I'm even feeling healthier, more positive, and I'm having more ideas and more projects and I want to change my life. So in this sense, um, let me just mention a sentence that I've been using for my last project that is concerning management. And that is managers nowadays are not just transmitting information like in the old, in the old times in the, in the big industries, you know, where, where they had the big machines and they had to go from the CEO who was somewhere else uh, or the company owner to the actual worker in the machine. Um, nowadays we have technology and, and digitalization has really gone a long way. So information really flows very freely among the company. That means that managers are not so much just transmitting information to the employees and being the douchebags saying, oh, can you please do this? Uh, it's Friday evening, but can you get this done until Monday? Because I'm not going to do it. But if you don't do it, I'm going to get uh, shit from my, from my superior. And that's how it goes. And it just goes up and up. And that's the thing with hierarchy. So on the other side, it would be managers are actually creating context and meaning for employees. They're taking the message of the, the company leaders, if you want to call it in some way. I don't like the, the word leaders, but anyways, uh, it's not very decentralized. But it's taking um, the company vision and translating that and trickling that down to the employees. So it's creating a meaning and a context for the employees. Because the employees normally, they just do whatever is told to them, but they don't see the big picture. And then managers like to complain, oh, they don't see the big picture. I told them this, but they got it wrong and this is not working and that. So what you're having is then a situation where managers are unhappy, leadership is unhappy because not the information is going down. Managers are unhappy because they're just dealing with people that don't have a global idea of what is going on in the real world. And you're having employees that are just getting bashed from all directions for not doing things right, although they're working their asses off every day. So in this sense, it is very important to invest in those kinds of relationships in the office because they're going to have a very positive economic impact on efficiency, on innovation, on all these kinds of hard things, the important things in the company. And in this scenario, what we have is that you're saving a lot of money in trainings, you're saving a lot of money in external consultancies, you're saving a lot of money in presentations, in images, and in all kinds of things to get your message through. And you're getting value added because you're accessing the knowledge of those employees that are being asked for the first time. And you're going to see that everyone, once they take responsibility and they're put in the right position, they're going to behave responsibly. They're going to behave like managers and they're going to train within their positions to be the future leaders of the company and shape the company in the future. So it's not only saving money because of the amount of people that are going to leave the company, the amount of trainings you're doing um, that are just going to end up in the bin, but it's actually investing in the short and long-term value of the biggest capital that the company has, and that's its employees. Um, I really liked what you said, and you captured this fact very well that it's about looking um looking in the long term but also taking care of the short term and even if possibly there could be times where uh the company would pour in money into some innovations coming out of the employees which could possibly fail but on the other hand they have to look at the uh, returns and the other financial benefits that they are getting from various other directions that includes saving cost on uh, other consultants, saving cost on trainings, and uh, uh, also considering the, the fact that 
when this uh, when innovations turn successful it also brings in revenue uh, and in multiple folds perfect so i think sarvesh has uh, sarvesh has a last question for you uh yeah so i have one last uh, question uh for mr lewis and that is uh, most companies today um use the words innovation and co-creation so loosely and uh, i sometimes feel that it's mostly used as a pr tool or a marketing tool and it's mostly hollow so if we are headed in a wrong direction uh, then what how can it be disastrous and how do these companies or these brands course correct themselves so what are your views on uh, co-creation and innovation uh, being a marketing or a pr tool for some companies and i can add to innovation and co-creation i can add csr i can add impact i can add sustainability there's just a bunch of words that are helping companies to whitewash their image and to greenwash their image in front of their consumers uh, customers sorry and in front of their employees as well so what we say here and that the importance of having a company vision is that it's a piece of paper that everybody agrees on and that has then have to put to work so if i just have a sentence let's say creating solutions together okay so i work in this uh, uh, technology company and they say creating this solution together to make uh, our impact in nature more sustainable so we would take that and say okay what do you mean by together where is there a process where we are meeting up what does it mean to be together well together means to have different people interacting okay is this happening no okay the company vision is not living up to its expectations um impact to nature are we actually doing something to make our company's um co2 uh carbon footprint smaller well no because we're sourcing from this and this countries for the different components well then the company vision is not right so we can do two things either take the company vision away and just assume that we're all working to make our bosses rich also the you know to our shareholders or we're actually going to walk the talk and put the hand where the money is put the hand of the, on the fire so this is kind of the commitment companies will have to face in the future because otherwise those employees that are coming with this brand new knowledge and computers and all the capital that they need to do their jobs they're going to say okay I'll just become self employed or I'll go to this or I'll go to this other company i want to have a company that is actually coherent in the way they work and the way they speak and the way those two things combine because otherwise if we're just all going to become brokers that's fine but then say so we're here to make money okay then the person that is there knows what they're going to expect <laughs> if we're here and we're going to say we're going to save the world but actually we're saving we're just making money and i'm getting paid one tenth of what the company owner gets um well yeah that's just going to create um distrust and demotivation and it's just going to make me see work as what it is i'm going there selling my life and getting some money in return to do whatever i want it would be much more beautiful if i could actually use the company and the company could use me to add value to each other and actually enjoy work and make work more meaningful and more impactful for everyone yeah yeah that was a very very straightforward answer i can say so uh, that is the perfect solution <laughs> i could be there on the bush but i think at this point it is really important to really put the hand in the fire and talk about the things that we all are thinking about but nobody actually knows how to translate into actual actions we complain about society and we complain about climate change and about inequality and gender inequality all these things but the actual place where we can embed that and 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 change that which is a company which is the private sector i mean is is almost bigger than the public sector right now i mean it's the place where things are happening so why not 
doing the things that we know we have to do in the places that are actually the places where things are changing and happening. Yeah, definitely. And I think with this, we can uh, wrap up this session. And uh, Mr. Lewis, uh, we would also love to have uh, your contact details uh, in the description of the episode, as well as if you can uh, tell it now to our viewers and listeners uh, so that they can reach out to you if uh, if they want to uh, meet you and if they want to talk to you or uh, have you as a consultant, even brands and companies would like to have you as a consultant. So uh, that would be an honor. And uh, once again, thank you, Mr. Lewis. So uh, we're looking forward to meeting again. Um, please uh, put up the contact uh, contact details. And if you have a presentation or something, you can share it now because uh, the video will also be going on YouTube. So people viewing this uh, can also view uh, the contact details and reach out to you as well. Perfect. Thank you very much. So um, I will put up my contact details afterwards. Uh, my LinkedIn is also Luis Barnett Lopez Tellio. Maybe you can share that. It's a half Spanish, half Austrian name. So it's a little bit long. Um, I'm currently uh, partnering up with a consulting company from Brazil who wanted to rethink the way they consult in Europe, which is called In Vitro Point Global. You can go online for that. It's a very new presentation, new webpage. So it doesn't have the, the projects we've started in Europe but it's a landing page. Um, for me, for myself, if you want to know what I do and if you want to get to talk to me, I invite you to do so. I'm very open. I would love to share more about this topic with anyone interested in it, be it uh, employee, be it a CEO, be it whoever it is, be the person that is not even working or whatever it is. Um, please write to me and I will be more than happy to, to share. Um, I would like to finally conclude by saying that it was a very good learning experience for me personally, and I'm sure it was for Sarvesh as well, and also uh, for our listeners. And uh, I would really thank you for laying out this uh, process. And uh, I think this episode was typically like a guide to uh, start a co-creative, a co-creation culture in your organization. And I really hope uh, some of our viewers are inspired by this and they go on further and uh, open up an organization where it's uh, employee-friendly, sustainable, and open to co-creation. And I think uh, here's where we end. And thank you again, uh, Mr. Lewis, and hoping to speak uh, with you again very soon. Thank you so much, both of you, for the invitation. Thank you for the great interview. And I would like to share one last sentence, um, two, two, two small ideas. The one is, as a consultant, I would like to inspire others to, to think about processes as put people at the center and work with them towards any direction you want to get. But putting people at the center first, because they are the ones actually that are going to develop whatever it is that you want to do. And the other sentence, a more inspiring tone one, is be the change that you want to see in the world. If you don't see something changing, take it up, start a process. Don't think about where it's going to be in a few months. Just do it, see how it feels to you and just continue doing it if it feels good and you will see, others will join. It's contagious. Thank you so much, you two. And I wish you all the best with your podcast. It looks amazing. Mm -hmm.